Tonight's episode was sponsored by Mad World. Check them out at www.itsworldmadness.com. Also check out Dubby Energy. Use our code TAVERN10 to save 10% off of your order at dubby.gg. Hey guys, welcome back to the Tavern. We love to have you here tonight. Tonight we're joined by Josh. How you doing, buddy? I don't know. How am I doing? My voice is in the, my head hasn't been talking to me lately, so I guess you can say existential crisis. Uh, you know, I feel that. I feel that on a deep personal level. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, are also joined tonight by Landon Williams. He appears to be having some technical difficulties at the moment, but I think we've got him back. Hello! And thanks for joining us at the tavern. Oh, nice. oh you, already, you already did you that, missed part? that part. Oh, you, okay. You missed uh, part. Sorry. Uh, uh, good. I'm doing great. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Sorry, we don't get good internet service da- uh, down under the tavern. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, just glad I'm not in the basement anymore. Have fun. That leads us into the perfect segue, actually. Um. So, first of all, I want to address the elephant in the room. We didn't do a podcast last week. Well, we did, but we didn't. Uh, we attempted to do one, and it was fantastic. But for some reason, it's like 12 minutes worth of Landon's audio just did not record. It was a garbled mess. So, we were not it's able to... First, it's our first lost episode. <sighs> yeah. it's It was a weird missed thing in the center. Um, also... Uh, I will be going on vacation starting Thursday, and I won't be back for quite a while. Um, so I'm, I apologize for the lack of content going forward. But in the meantime, uh, Landon actually launched his own podcast called Under the Tavern. Uh, first episode is up on Anchor and Spotify. And while I'm gone, Josh and Landon will be holding down the fort, and you can hear their, you know, what they're doing over there on under the tavern while i'm on vacation uh landon do you have anything to put in on that uh yeah uh we're also on amazon music and google podcasts as well with under the tavern so and uh, uh what is under the tavern can you give us a little uh blur about that <clears throat> okay sure uh under the tavern is basically going to be uh all about the occult supernatural uh, extraterrestrial and uh, you know spiritual side of things with some zest of horror in between all of that you know give it a good flavor and just I don't know it's it's general nonchalant occultness I, I don't know uh, but yeah just so the darker side of the tavern exactly yeah. right Josh just in time for spooky time yeah and I, I thought that would uh, that would be great. Uh, it, it gives us a different uh, side of things, right? Uh, so we're not all trying to compile 15 million different um, categories uh, right on top of the tavern, right? And I figured Under the Tavern uh, would be a great name for that type of podcast. So Josh's fine. It's going to be called The Back Room of the Tavern. <laughs> <laughs> Josh's is called the urinal. This is called the I pantry. Said the back room, not the bathroom. 
The crack room? <laughs> yes. The crack room? Just Jesus. the back. We're, all the business is in the back. You we know, speaking of that, I went into <laughs> rack room the other day, and I was very disappointed. Not a booby in sight. <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking for hooters. I was actually uh, pleasantly surprised when I went into dicks and not a dick in sight. So that one was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> I was a little pissed off though. I went into Staples. No Staples. Completely out. Staples never has Staples. Exactly. Like, what's up with that? You got paper clips, though. Yeah, plenty of paper clips. No Staples. Landon's not amused. He is not phased at all by our dad jokes. He is not phased. <laughs> not one bit. You okay, buddy? I play the fifth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and jump into tonight's topic. Uh, we're not going to be doing a, you know, choose your own adventure night. Um, I wanted to discuss something that I heard about today and thought this would be a very interesting topic. And I'm sure we all three have varied opinions on this topic. Uh, first things first, do you guys know what a thylacine is? Uh, I have no real idea. I think, uh, what I saw from that video earlier was like, it's a Tasmanian devil kind of hybrid thing. Uh, it, it is the quote unquote, um, Tasmanian tiger. Okay. And it, it was a naturally occurring animal. I mean, this was one of Australia's main, you know, predators for years and, it was hunted to extinction. Um, the last known thylacine died in captivity in 1936. Oh. Um, that being said, there are hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of people and groups that hunt the Australian outback trying to find just a glimpse of these things to prove that they're not dead because people say all the time that, oh, I got a picture of a thylacine. I got a picture of the Tasmanian tiger. And, you know, there's groups dedicated. Look at that size of that Tasmanian tiger. Right? <laughs> well, the article that I, I'm looking at now, um, as of August 23rd, when this article was, you know, posted, is that there are a group of scientists who believe they can bring the thylacine back. So I, I'm going to read a little bit from this article. And I want to get y'all's opinions on this. Uh, can an extinct species be brought back to life? Scientists are taking a giant leap in that direction by using gene editing to resurrect the Tasmanian tiger, a carnivorous marsupial from the United from the <laughs> carnivorous marsupial from Australia, and the continent's only marsupial apex predator. It died out nearly a century ago, driven to extinction by human hunters and by the introduction of non-native species to their grassland, wetland, and forest habitats. How do you feel about that concept of bringing something back to life using gene editing? Josh? We have five movies, well, six movies, that say it's a bad idea. To quote from the first movie, you guys always you thought about what you could do, not that you should do it. 
Did Landon just, just yeah, yeah, let's bring back this Tasmanian tiger, but where does it stop? Oh, look, now we got dinosaurs on a private island. Well, this isn't a dinosaur, and it was an animal that only recently went extinct. So I don't yes, think we're into that territory only, yet. This is only the stepping stone. They're yes, I'll agree with you on that. Stepping stone of that. Because they're like, oh, we brought this back. Oh, we're going to bring this back. We're going to bring this back. Guess what? Now we have flipping dinosaurs. I can see where you're going with that. Dino um, Landon, what are your thoughts on this? So my thoughts with this, uh, you know, comeback, I, I, they say it's going to be a good thing. So maybe it is a good thing. <clears throat> uh, we've known for a long time now that scientists have been cloning sheep and all other sorts of farm animals for uh what since we've been alive yeah uh, dolly the sheep so when i was a child it's it's possible as long as they have strands of dna that they can replicate to create the creature then i mean go for it like josh was saying uh the case that we have five movies that say stuff like this might not be a good idea sure i i might agree with it uh, but with this, it's just regular animals, and it's going to control a uh, a population of other animals, right? It's going to set motions into cycle once again to regulate the growth and dispersion of other creatures, right? So the habitat will change, uh, and it could change for the better. Um, you know, again, oh. like you were saying, stepping stone. Um. I'm, I'm going to read a little bit more of this, and okay. you know, as we go through this, I'm going to get your opinions on the article as we go through. Sure. Um, researchers with the project, a collaboration between the University of Melbourne and the genetic engineering company Colossal Biosciences in Dallas. So this is a project between here in America in Dallas and a university in Melbourne. Uh, they suggest that the so-called de-extinction could reinstall the Tasmanian tigers or the thylacines into the wild within a decade and could help restore balance and beleaguered, oh, to the beleaguered Australian ecosystem where the animals once roamed, university representatives has said in a statement. However, such efforts also raise questions about prioritizing high-tech solutions for resurrecting charismatic creatures and animals that humans have already exterminated, while hundreds of species teeter on the brink of extinction today. So then that touches on what you were just talking about, Landon, which is why I wanted to read that part. They they want to restore that ecosystem, you know, to balance it back out because that was the apex predator. So now all of these things don't have a predator anymore to keep their numbers in check. So they're causing all this damage to the ecosystem, but what does that mean for all these other animals that are still alive that will be extinct soon? They're like, they're on the brink. What, why can't we do this to try to save an animal that's still here rather than trying to resurrect a dead one? You know what I mean? Josh? Definitely makes sense frozen? to try to save what we have now than bring something back from the dead. This. Honestly, we have so many movies, video games, all kinds of works of fiction that say it's a bad idea when we try to play God. 
So do you feel the same way if we were to use gene editing to, let's say we, there's a frog in the Amazon that's about to go extinct, but they're still alive now, but we use gene editing to, you know, create lab grown frogs, so to speak, without, you know, going too deep into that, um, so that we can reintroduce a population into the wild or begin breeding a new population. Is that still still too far of a stepping stone in your opinion? Kind of, yeah, because, you know, when will people think when enough is enough? True. Landon, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts would have to say that uh, there again, uh, good ideas and bad ideas. Right. With every good part of science, right, uh, there's always a negative that can be influenced. And with that in mind, you know, you're you're always going to have that darkness and light thing going on. Right. I, I think this is this is something that uh, reintroducing a new uh, a species that hasn't died off yet. Sure. I think that can st keep stability in that area you know um but at the same time it's like you know i mean if if they're going extinct by themselves well maybe that's because the ecosystem is declaring it so now humans going and hunting these ties tasmanian tigers okay well that happened in 1939 well look at the pelts on those things right really cool so i get it but at the same time, you know, you, you, it's still labeled as an endangered species until it's not an endangered species anymore. So we don't necessarily do that unless we poach. And there's, I mean, I don't know. I'm an American. But, I mean, as far as I know, poaching is coming way down than what it used to be as well. Well, on that note, let's move a little further into this article. Um, scientists in the Thylacine Integrated Genomic Restoration Research, or TIGRR, clever scientist name, uh, lab at the University of Melbourne, have already sequenced the thylacine genome from preserved thylacine DNA and pinpointed which living marsupials are the most genetically similar to thylacines, according to this statement. Colossal's CRISPR gene, gene editing... Uh, technology has enabled the group to take cells from a closely related living marsupial species, the fat-tailed Dunart, whatever that is, uh, created a template genome and then edited it to produce a thylacine genome and grow viable thylacine embryos. With this partnership, they now believe that in 10 years' time, we could have our first living baby thylacine since they were hunted to extinction close to a century ago. Team members Andrew Pask and a professor of epigenics at the University of Melbourne and leader of the Tiger Lab said that in this statement, we can now take the giant leaps to conserve Australia's threatened marsupials and take on the grand challenge of de-extincting animals we had lost. They've got a nice little picture of, you know, the last living thylacine in black and white. So that shows you how 
short of a time period this has been since these went extinct is that we actually had cameras and we were able to take pictures of these thylacines in the zoo. That's It hasn't been that long. And for me, it feels even less long when you talk about 1930 to 1940. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't that far along. And then I'm like, holy crap, it's, it's 2022. That is almost 100 years, but, you know, born in the 1900s here, and it doesn't feel like it's been 30 years. God, I'm old. I hate when things like that happen. Uh, Tasmanian tigers, or thylacines, appeared in Australia about 4 million years ago and were once widespread across the continent. According to the Australian Museum in Sydney, despite their name, they don't look much like tigers. In fact, they were sometimes referred to as long dogs with stripes. <laughs> because they're good old long dogs. Because they're dog-like heads and distinctively marked rumps. According to the University of Melbourne, thylacines had short ears, long short ears and legs, long rigid tails, and they were about the size of the American coyote, standing approximately 24 inches and weighing about 37 to 44 pounds. Uh, let's see here. Thylacines vanished from most of Australia's mainland about 2,000 years ago. The estimated population was about 5,000 in the Tasmanian era, in Tasmania, around the time of the European colonization in 1800s. By the 1920s, thousands of Tasmanian tigers had been slaughtered by human hunters who mistakenly saw the marsupial as a threat to livestock. The last Tasmanian tiger seen in the wild was killed in 1930, and the, latest, the last specimen in captivity, an individual named Benjamin, died in Hobart Zoo in 1936. According to these researchers, the de-extinction project, Resurrection Tasmanian Tigers, would be a conservation success story, not only for restoring species lost to humanity's activities, but also for building a lifeline of vulnerable and threatened species across Australia, developing gestational and genetic rescue technologies for future marsupial conservation efforts. So, having gone through that article, knowing how short of a time period it was from when they were extinct to where we are now, knowing what these animals are for in the environment and why they're considered you know, a necessity to bring back. You have your opinions formed on this. What does that mean for the same lab that is working on potentially bringing back the woolly mammoth? Josh, how do you feel about that? What purpose are we bringing the woolly mammoth back other than to gawk at? So I can actually answer that question for you. Yes, please do. Um, the woolly mammoth was considered, how do I explain this? So there's a lot of land where the woolly mammoth used to roam that has completely changed the type of ecosystem it was, which killed off a lot of native species. Because the woolly mammoth was so large and they traveled in packs, they would keep the land flat and they would keep those large plants and trees from growing because they would keep more of a field like plains area, which allowed for certain types of deer and other animals that flourish in the plains to, to live and flourish. But with the mammoth gone or, you know, with, with them gone, that allowed more of those larger species of trees and vegetation to grow up 
and completely wipe out that tundra plains type of ecosystem that is needed in certain areas. So that's another reason they're considering bringing back that, that mammoth. So it can thrive in those colder climates and create those tundra areas that certain animals need to survive to bring back the natural ecosystem. So where that, exactly that would we dump the woolly mammoths? Can't be like in the poles. They're melting. Polar no, bears no, no, are no. surviving up there. We're talking about areas where there's still grass yeah. and trees. Yeah, stuff like that. Those kinds of areas where the ground is actually needs to be compacted the way it is. Because For without those heavy mammoth places like that, yeah. How, how is that going to affect humans, though? Because now if we that have them in you. Canada and like in northern part of America and then in Canada there. Canada, they. Oh, yeah. And, you know, well, I guess we ride the woolly mammoth to work, eh? You know, down, all going the, down down the there, you know, how's it going to affect human life? Oh, George just got squished by the woolly mammoth. Can't come into work. Oh, that's, that's a shame. I brought him back some Tim Hortons. He was really looking forward to them donut holes. It's an awful shame. You were in the holes too. <laughs> I I hope there's people in Canada listening right now that enjoyed that. Sorry if it was offensive, but I'm sure you enjoyed it. I thought oh, it was a pretty I'm good sure impression. I'm thinking of different names they're calling these Southern Americans. Southern Americans. Yes, we are um, of South Carolina. We are of the southern of the America, but not quite South America. And what would Canadians call us? I can answer that question. <laughs> yeah, he has experience. Uh, he knows. Yes, uh, Canadians call Americans Yanks. And they thought that right? uh, everybody in America was known as Yankees. Uh, they didn't know that it was just the northern part of the Americas because they were called Yankees in the Civil War, you know. Uh, so I, I thought that was great, and I'm I'm so happy I got to say that. Yes. <laughs> he finally got to say it. He didn't know where in conversation it will come up. He's been waiting for years to use that one piece of knowledge. <laughs> My whole life. My whole life. But, um... Back on that topic for you, Josh, uh, basically because of the mammoth's weight, they would keep the frozen ground compacted, which kept the ground frozen, which is the way it needed to be for, you know, that particular environment. And without them there, it thawed. So then over the years, it is no longer retaining the groundwater that it needed to, to keep that environment correct. So it's just, it's something that they've been considering for a while now to reintroduce to the population. And as far as your concern with how does that affect, Amer you know, affect humans, I almost said Americans, I guess, depending on the yes, place. Yes, the whole world is America. Well, look at it this way. There are elephants in plenty of other countries around the world. They make do. You don't see people in India screaming and hollering about, oh my God, there's an elephant. No, they're literally like, oh, these things are great. Let them walk straight through the city. I would like someone from India to confirm that for me. Google it. They love elephants over there. You literally can go to India and bathe with elephants in a in a river under a waterfall. And the elephants are just like, what's up, buddy? 
Now, not that being said, that being said, I don't want to misconstrue anything here. Elephants can be very dangerous and they can trample you to death if you are bothering them. But because of the lifestyle led in those areas, the elephants are much more akin to being around humans. So they're a lot less likely to attack you for no reason. Landon, Landon. wants to share with the class. You're ignoring him. Uh, elephants are, are known as like, you know, they're a big celebrated thing in India. Yeah, so big time. Most of those colonies of elephants actually have been generation upon generation upon generation groomed into being with people. Yep. Even as wild elephants, like, they still get along with people. And elephants can sense energy. Mm -hmm. uh, so they can tell if you have negative intentions or not. Oh, yeah. But most animals can. Most animals immediately can tell if someone's bad or has negative energy. They can feel it. They just know. Um, my opinion on the topic of woolly and the mammoth. Um, yes. Sure, I believe that uh, exactly what you're saying, Brandon... Uh, with uh, woolly mammoths keeping the frozen tundras compacted and tight and frozen. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, with the global warming stuff going on. It's because we don't have those kinds of um, uh, ecosystems anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I mean, like, I get what Josh is saying. You know, oh, well, we, we have all these you know, cities and all this stuff, or whatever, you're introducing a creature that nobody has ever seen in their lifetime. Yup. You know, these are, these are Neanderthals, our ancestor Neanderthals that were hunting these creatures. And, uh, now, I mean, with that being said too, we will not see woolly mammoths in our lifetime and our children might not see woolly mammoths in their lifetime. Yeah, but it's not likely. Right. But by the time that that comes of age, we'll probably be living in space as human beings. Probably. I mean, because the technology's out there. We just have to have the, <clears throat> the funds available to make it all happen. Technically, so, we do live in space. Earth is in space. <laughs> So, on that topic, Landon, you brought me to a good point here. Um, with us moving into space and living there in the future and blah, blah, blah. To put it in perspective, just in our lifetime, okay? We're, we're in our 30s. I remember cell phones becoming a thing. I remember getting our first computer. And now look at where we are attempting to resurrect an extinct animal through gene editing in 30 years, technically less than that, because our first computer we got, what, when I was like 12, something like that, 10, 12, somewhere in there. So it's really only been like 20 years. We've gone from the dawn of computers and using a pager to now considering resurrecting an extinct animal through gene editing. Imagine where we're going to be in 100 years. Technology is advanced so fast. First. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just the the amount of technological advancements. I mean, heck, look at this. 
When, when we were growing up, I remember having to ride my bike to Landon's house to knock on the door and find out if he was able to come outside and play. And if he wasn't home, well, I just had to pedal my little ass back to the house. And now we're doing a video podcast with each other from our own homes wirelessly. Talk about a dramatic change of technology. Facts. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here. I had no friends. Justin Pedal. Justin, I I was just riding around my yard. I didn't have anywhere to go. Landon lived quite a quite a bit of ways, so it wasn't just like I could just go down the street. He lived in a totally different neighborhood. Had <laughs> to go on a highway to go. <laughs> Fifty miles uphill in the snowstorm, bare feet. Now this is true when I say this. We would walk two miles to the Dollar Tree to buy a three liter of Fago just to walk two miles home to drink it. Seriously, That's we did that. Very true. Very true. Anyways. Uh, we're going to go ahead and cut it right here. Uh, thanks for listening tonight, guys. Really appreciate you being here. Um, look forward to bringing everything back when we get back from vacation. Um, thanks again to Landon and Josh for holding down the fort while I'm gone. Hopefully you guys check out Under the Tavern, and hopefully you enjoy what Landon's doing over there. Um, Josh, you got any closing words tonight? I did Landon take my room. Landon? <clears throat> it was not yours to have. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's wrong with you two? All right, guys. <laughs> thanks for being here tonight. We appreciate you hanging out with us. As always, thanks for stopping by the tavern.